0: On Tuesday evening, I tried to take my own advice. I dressed appropriately for the night ahead. I put on the armor of God. I even read Ephesians again to make sure I would not show up naked for the apocalypse. I had all the snacks and libations. I lit a candle. I got a fire rolling in the fireplace. I covered myself in a warm blanket and snuggled with my dog on the couch. I was ready. At least... I thought I was. Somehow, even after all the preparations I had made for what might occur, I still found myself asleep at the will and ill prepared for the revelations about my country and the chaotic emotional roller coaster that we experienced. I certainly expected it to be an apocalypse, an unveiling of things unseen. But I wasn't prepared to find that I'd been anesthetized to reality, lulled to sleep again about the state of our nation and the possibility of real change. I was stunned to realize I'd never actually allowed myself to acknowledge how bad things really are in America. And I was shocked by my wishful thinking, embarrassed by my denial. I'd been asleep, just like the bridesmaids in Jesus' story. Tuesday was a wake-up call. Whether it was being awakened to how similar this election was to 2016, or the way people voted, or how tight the race was in many states, or how divided we are as a country, or how quickly a coup d'etat could occur here, or how close we are to a civil war, it was a wake-up call. 2020 has been a year of wake-up calls. COVID-19 was a wake-up call. The murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd were wake-up calls. And this election was another wake-up call. The rest of the world is looking at us with confusion and wondering, when are they going to pick up the damn phone? And now I'm asking myself the same question. When am I going to pick up the phone and answer this wake-up call? In his book, Reality, Grief, Hope, Walter Brueggemann writes, Denial gives us a view of reality that covers over the facts on the ground and instead offers us a preferred set of facts that reassures and confirms the way we thought and wished the world were. Denial will not be interrupted by the facts, he says, for such facts are inconvenient Facts must be denied in order to maintain old privilege and entitlement and defend off the reality of the world. My friends in the recovery community often metaphorically refer to the phenomenon of denial as a warm blanket. The warm blanket of denial, they say, is a place where we slumber comfortably, surrounded by the delusions we've invented about ourselves and accepted about the world that make us feel good, happy, and safe. This week has felt like we were sleeping soft and sound under the warm blanket of denial when suddenly a wake-up call started ringing on our phones and the warm blanket of denial was ripped off of our bodies, exposing us to the cold, harsh reality of America. The longer and more comfortably we were sleeping, the harsher and more traumatic our awakening has been. Similar to Jesus' parable of the sleeping bridesmaids is Washington Irving's Rip Van Winkle. Set in colonial America, it's the story of a man living in a small village at the foot of the Catskills. One day, Rip wanders up into the mountains with his dog and runs into a group of Dutchmen. They enjoy a stiff drink together, and Rip falls asleep for 20 years. As you can imagine, when Rip wakes up, he discovers some shocking changes have occurred. His dog is gone, his beard has grown incredibly long, his house is in complete disrepair, his wife and children are gone, and there's no one living in the town anymore that he recognizes. Martin Luther King Jr. loved the story of Rip Van Winkle and liked to say whenever he talked about it that there's a part of the story which is almost always overlooked. When Rip went up the mountain, the sign in the local tavern had a picture of King George III on it. And when he came down, it had a picture of George Washington at the local tavern. And so King always proclaimed, the most striking thing about the story of Rip Van Winkle is not that he slept 20 years, but that he slept through The Revolution. In his sermon, Don't Sleep Through the Revolution, King warned One of the great misfortunes of history is that all too many individuals and institutions find themselves in a period of great change and yet fail to achieve the new attitudes and outlooks the situation demands. There's nothing more tragic, he says, than to sleep through a revolution. And then King got really specific. He said, if we are to remain awake in this revolution, it is necessary for the church to reaffirm over and over again the essential immorality of racial segregation and to oppose the idea of white supremacy. Any church, King said, which does not oppose the idea of white supremacy is sleeping through the revolution." Like Rick Van Winkle and the bridesmaids in this story, have we been sleeping? This week, a wise therapist said that the reason our feelings are so intense right now is that many of us are just now beginning to process the last four years. A lot of us have had to push down our feelings to keep going, to keep working, to care for our people and our families and our friends, to educate our children, to push for change, and we we just couldn't let ourselves face the reality of who we are as a nation, and now we're facing it all at once, and it's crazy overwhelming. There's this feeling of heaviness, a weight about our future because of what's been revealed about the present, which is related to what we've refused to acknowledge about the past. I'm reminded that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross designated denial one of the stages of grief. So what are we grieving as a nation, as a people? Could we be grieving the fact that no matter what happens this week, COVID-19 will still be with us? Could we be grieving the fact that regardless of the results of this election, white supremacy, bigotry, misogyny, and xenophobia, and rabid nationalism will still be with us? Could we be grieving the fact that no matter who is president, that America is sick and broken? It's not very accurate to say that we're divided. We are sick and broken. You can divide numbers and apples and people and put them back together as if nothing happened. Division is not always a negative thing. But when something is sick and broken, you can't just put it back together without acknowledging where it went wrong, how it got sick, and what was broken. What has been unveiled this week is that America is sick and broken, and you can't put something back together quickly. Of course, healing is possible. That's our hope. But first, we have to admit that we are sick and broken before we can find healing. And I'm not sure I have much hope that America will ever admit that it is sick and broken. But I know where to find the seeds of hope. The Seeds of hope are always found in the same place. Seeds of hope are truth and responsibility, love and possibility. I'll start with the truth. If I hope for anything today, I want it to be my highest hope. So I'm trying to will myself to transcend any hope I had for a particular outcome of this presidential election and reach for a bigger and grander hope. No matter who wins, I hope from this day on that we as Americans truly see ourselves for who and what we really are. And I hope we never stop seeing that truth. I hope we come to understand who America was and is today and never go back under the warm blanket of denial. I hope our hearts are broken open by the fact that we are sick and broken. And I hope we never forget this betrayal, one that for black Americans is just another in a long line of betrayals. I hope that this wake-up call keeps ringing in our ears until we finally pick it up. I hope this revelation of reality haunts us for the rest of the 20th century until we acknowledge it. I hope we see this truth again and again and again until we can no longer bear it. I hope this unveiling haunts us until we are so tired of it that we finally change. I hope this truth agitates us so deeply it becomes unbearable. Unbearable that we cannot help but create a different world. I hope we never go back to sleep. I also hope we never forget how fragile and precarious and precious our democracy is. It's hanging on by a thread. At the same time, I hope that I have the power to vigilantly protect my heart against my own propensity to hate those that I see showing hate to so many others. Anger I will allow. Anger is healthy. Anger is productive. But I will not allow myself to succumb to hatred for half the country. I don't have to agree with everyone else or their views or how they voted, but I have the responsibility to try and understand my neighbor. Not in some naive, sentimental, can't-we-all-get-along sort of way, but to really try to understand the political, economic, and psychological circumstances of despair that led millions of people to turn to a strong man again, to a leader who vows to protect people's power and offers the illusion of power to those who feel powerless. We can't write this off as a random one-time thing anymore. It's not an aberration. It is not simply backlash to the first black president. This is who we are. This is America. The revolution we've been sleeping through is a revolution not of goodness but of hate and apathy and indifference. A revolution of the reassertion of white power and unholy pragmatism that is not going away anytime soon. Very easy for us to look at people who don't think like us or believe the way that we do or vote the way that we do and say those people are stupid or immoral or crazy or misguided or this is not who we are as Americans, but that is denial, an abdication of our responsibility. It's so much harder to accept reality and say, This is us. Those people are my people. We don't have to be best friends. But we can't disown half the country. It may not be our fault that we are sick and broken as a nation, but it is our responsibility to find out why and to work for healing. That's what it means to have hope. Hope is waking up every day, throwing off the blanket of denial, and taking responsibility. Hope is having work to do that doesn't depend on who the president is, work that will take our entire lifetimes and beyond to accomplish. Hope is having a purpose and meaning to our lives that transcends the American political process. That's hope. Does it matter who won? Yes, of course it matters. It is a matter of life and death for many, but it's also not everything. There is so much more to what it means to be political than the limited imagination of a two-party system and so much more to life than a presidential election. There's so much more to you and so much more to me and so much more to who we are and what we've been called to do and be together as a community. Hope is a journey of finding out what that more is and when we find it, treating it like a treasure and selling everything we have for it. What I fear the most At this moment is that the outcome of this election will allow us to feel like our work is done. That the outcome will somehow allow us to go back to sleep under the warm blanket of denial. But hope and vigilance requires more than just waking up one time and throwing off the blanket of denial and answering the call doing our duty for democracy, and then going back to bed. It's about staying alert, staying awake, staying aware and vigilant, ready and prepared for the long haul of what is ahead. That's the problem with the five bridesmaids in the parable in Matthew 25. It's not that they didn't bring lamps with them or even that they fell asleep. Both the wise and the foolish bridesmaids took a nap that night. No, the problem was that half the bridesmaids were not prepared for the groom to be delayed. Which means they were not ready or equipped for any contingencies or emergencies that might happen, like an extra long night of shining their light in the darkness, or maybe possibly a long week with no results, or a long work ahead in America. The foolish bridesmaids were only ready for a groom who was on time and did not delay. They only had enough oil to get them through a typical night. However, the wise bridesmaids came prepared with an extra flask of oil on the off chance that it might be a long night. They had no delusions about the groom. They were not in denial about his possible tardiness. They expected a delay and they were prepared in the event that they had to shine their light all night long. Foolishness is living in the denial that everything is fine and that it's always going to go according to our plan. Wisdom is facing the truth of reality and preparing for the possibility of a change in plans, ready if necessary for a marathon test of endurance. In the Gospel in Solintaname, A poor campesino from Nicaragua named Julio explains the parable of the bridesmaid to his teacher, Ernesto. Julio says, All the bridesmaids began by having oil, and that oil is love. The ones who ran out of love are the Christians who don't have enough love for their neighbors. They had some at first, maybe, but they didn't have enough for such a long wait. There are those who have enough love And then there are those who don't. The oil of love brings light and joy to the world. That's the way love works. Each person is a lamp and love is our fuel. But a person who does not have enough love is like a lamp that's gone out. Our commission as people of faith and good conscience is to be light to the world. We can't shine if we are asleep under the warm blanket of denial. Like the song goes, hide it under a bushel of denial. No, I'm going to let it shine. But even if we wake up and throw off the blanket of denial, we also can't be the light of the world if we run out of oil for our lamps. We not only have to wake up, but we also have to stay vigilant. And the kind of vigilance we need is exactly the kind that we had that glued us to our phones and our televisions this week, waiting on the results of this election. Most of us lost a lot of sleep. What were we watching for? What were we waiting for? What were we hoping for? Were we waiting on the world to change? What if we had that kind of vigilance for the work of love and justice? Just imagine... If we thought the election would solve all the problems in our country and heal our sickness and brokenness, then we were like the five foolish bridesmaids who didn't bring any extra oil for the long night ahead. The beloved community has been delayed in America. It's not coming right away. It's going to be dark for a while longer. And while we may feel like we are waiting on Godot, we have to keep awake and stay alert and remain vigilant. Waking up is hard and disorienting and painful, but staying awake is even more difficult because when we wake up to the truth of the cold, hard world where we live in and we don't like what we see, we want to crawl back under those nice, warm sheets and pull the covers up over our eyes. But we have extraordinary work to do before the beloved community will come to America. So we must shake off our apathy and our lethargy and our desire for the anesthetizing comfort of denial. We've been given a wake up call for the desperate need for love and peace and mercy and justice in our world. Let's take it. Let's answer the call. In the Bible, sleep is a metaphor for death. And waking up is a metaphor for the resurrection. So let's refuse the temptation of denial and slumber and death and rise up and be resurrected and go out into the world with our eyes wide open, shining brightly like the light of the world and burning with the fire of all the love that we can carry with us. Truth and responsibility, love and possibility. These are the seeds of hope. Hope is never a return to the past. Hope is always about the possibility of something new, a new creation. As our covenant states, we are discovering in this experience our freedom to become new creatures and our responsibility to be faithful stewards of our lives and of this world. A new creation can begin whenever we are willing to take responsibility, to be faithful stewards of our lives and the world, That means that hope is always right at our fingertips. All we have to do is believe in the possibility and take responsibility. A Tuesday evening late in the night, a friend of mine said, in the worst case scenario, we will wake up, get out of bed, get cleaned up, dust ourselves off, and get to work. In the best case scenario, she said, we will wake up, get out of bed, get cleaned up, dust ourselves off, and get to work. Wise words they were. For us, the work is always the same every day. To stay vigilant, to carry the fuel of love with us, to strive to be the light of the world, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God, now and forevermore. Amen.